Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS Podcast. Great to have you back. Simon Alicia here with you again to take you through some updates, some changes, some improvements, and a little bit of a black belt tip at the end. We have lots to cover today. I think whenever we do these episodes, I always say there's a lot to cover, and it's because the teams work very hard to get functionality into the hands of our customers. These are things that people want to do and things that people want to do better. So we have a combination this week of improvements, enhancements, and some pretty big changes as well. So without any further ado, let me start. Let's talk about RDS for Postgres. So RDS uh, is a service that you're all very familiar with. It allows you to host databases very, very simply, take away a lot of the undifferentiated heavy lifting of managing a database. So we've announced some enhancements for Amazon RDS for Postgres SQL, and here's what they are. Firstly, there's some new minor versions that we support. So we now support 9.3.14, 9.4.9, and 9.5.4. Now, there's a whole bunch of fixes and enhancements that are available there. You can now upgrade to these new minor versions depending on what your application requires, which is pretty cool. We now support logical replication and the associated logical decoding. So this means that you can do a different kind of replication, which allows you to create replicas by streaming high-level database changes from an Amazon RDS for Postgres database into a non-RDS database that supports the logical decoding feature. So this means that you can do very, very sophisticated arrangements when necessary to move data around your system as required. Speaking of moving data, we now have AWS database migration service support for migrating data to AWS. So you can now migrate your data from a PostgreSQL database running on RDS or in a self-managed host to another open source or commercial database. And uh, you can read through the instructions on how to do that, but it makes it pretty simple to move data around. A couple of other changes. We now have support for event triggers. Now, this is for Postgres versions 9.4.9 and onwards and 9.5.4 and onwards because they support event triggers at the database level. We support those now on RDS as well. And finally, tuning. People are always trying to tune their databases just that little bit to get the right amount of performance. And you can now update the PG stat RAM disk size parameter. So basically your RAM disk size for your Postgres database. And this uh, is a directory that allows you to store statistics on runtime performance and behavior, etc. So making more memory available for this can reduce your IO requirements and can improve performance. It's something you have to test with and play with, but it is available to you. So some really cool changes for RDS customers there. Another really interesting change that deals with the challenge that a lot of people running containers face is there is now support for centralized container logs with Amazon ECS and Amazon CloudWatch logs. When you have lots and lots of microservices and lots and lots of containers, you also generate lots and lots of logs. And that can be difficult to centralize, to monitor and maintain. In fact, that's one of the biggest problems I see customers facing when they move to a microservices architecture. Now it is very simple as part of setting up your ECS task definition to create the log location and the stream of logging coming from your containers. You can also prefix them as well. So you can prefix the stream so you can organize your logs in an application-centric way, making monitoring, management, and tracking really, really easy. And it all goes straight into Amazon CloudWatch logs, which means it's easy to search, easy to store, easy to maintain, easy to analyze, etc. So if you're not doing logging from ECS at the moment into Amazon CloudWatch logs, you should really think about it because you need to have full visibility into your environment to understand what's happening from a performance perspective, from a customer interaction perspective, from a uh, memory leak perspective, from any other aspect of any good distributed systems designs. 
logs are your friends and putting them all in the one place makes life a lot, lot easier. Now, speaking of making life easier and more secure, uh, the Amazon EMR team, Elastic MapReduce team, have been hard at work and they've introduced new encryption support for EMR. Now, this makes it really easy to enable at-rest and in-transit encryption for Apache Spark, Apache Tez, and Hadoop MapReduce on EMR. So if you're using uh, any of the three following types of storage, so data stored on e- in S3 via EMRFS, data stored in the local file system of each node, or data stored on the cluster using HDFS, you can easily activate at-rest encryption. And if you want to use the in-transit encryption, that applies to Apache Spark, Apache Tez, and Apache Hadoop MapReduce, all using the native open source encryption features in those products. It's very, very simple to configure, and I highly recommend you look at that if you're doing anything with any sensitive data or data you just want to protect as a matter of good hygiene. Now, another service that I'm a huge fan of is the API Gateway. API Gateway again, takes care of a lot of that heavy lifting of providing that public front end to services. You know, we live in a very much an API-driven economy. It's the way we like to link services together. It's a really effective way. But we want to make it easier for customers to build those APIs. So the API gateway will now support more features that make it even easier to build both new API endpoints and also to port any existing applications that you have. The first one and one that's pretty nifty is called catch-all path variables. So in the past, you'd have to specify each and every path and each and every behavior. So if you had, you know, slash store, you'd have to have that. And then slash store slash add product, you'd have to have that, delete product, so on and so forth. So it had to be very specific, which is kind of good from a specificity perspective, but wow, it makes for some boring coding. So now there is a catch-all route that allows you to intercept all requests to the sync to that same path or subpaths and route them to the same function. And so it's called a greedy path. And this greedy path collects all these components of any request under that path and sends it to the one function. So you may have a very simple logic tree that can process a whole bunch of different uh, concerns in a very simple and effective way. Used wisely and within reason, very effective design pattern and makes it really easy to get up and running quickly. Now you can break those out later on if you want to, but as a starting point, this catch-all path is really, really useful. In a similar vein, instead of having to specify an individual behavior for each HTTP method, so a get, post, put, etc., you can now use the catch-all any method to define the same integration behavior for all requests. So again, if you've got commonality, you can do the same thing. Another nice change is we now have Lambda function integration where you can set the entire request that's coming from or that was sent to the API gateway can be sent onwards to the Lambda function and then turn the return value into a HTTP response. What this again means is you could basically use the API gateway as a pass-through layer which in which you can be using some of the features and functions of the API gateway, but it's not doing any manipulation of that data. It's simply passing it through into the Lambda function and the Lambda function does all the work for you. A different variety of this is HTTP endpoint integration. And this provides a default mapping template that will pass your entire request to your HTTP endpoint and return the response without modification. So this lets you use it as a HTTP proxy in front of an EC2 instance, could be an existing on-premises implementation of an API. Again, if you want the scalability, the resilience, some of the functionality of the API gateway in front of an existing API, you can use this HTTP endpoint integration to do that. So pretty, pretty cool. 
Speaking of cool, some really big updates to one of my favorite services, AWS CloudFormation. Now, I love CloudFormation. I do not love JSON. <laughs> now, I don't love JSON, not because it's not good and precise and useful. It is all those things. I just really, really suck at getting the syntax right and spend a lot of my time in tools like JSON, Lint, etc., trying to figure out what I've done wrong. Thankfully, you now can write your CloudFormation templates in YAML. Now, I know some people have a love-hate relationship with YAML, but it serves a significant purpose. And that purpose is to be human-readable. And last time I checked, I'm a human and I like to read. So the new YAML capability and syntax for CloudFormation makes it super easy to understand what's going on. All the same structures are the same. So you'll have the descriptions, the metadata, the mappings, outputs, parameters, conditions, resources, all that good stuff. But guess what? You can do comments. Yes, comments in your CloudFormation. It's a pretty cool thing. There's also a new abbreviated syntax to refer to functions using the uh, exclamation mark, which is kind of nifty. So you can have a look at how to do that. Also, there is some other capabilities I know some of you will be very excited to hear about. One of them is called cross-stack references. That's right. I said cross-stack references. What this means is you can export values from one stack and make use of them in other stacks without having to create any custom CloudFormation resources. So you have a very formalized way to export and import variables between different stacks. This is useful when you may have common centralized stacks that create some basic things and then additional stacks that build upon what was created in the first stack. So it allows for decomposition. It allows for very effective management of different parts of the system and change control over different parts of the system using source control whilst passing live parameters between them without having to do unnatural things. Speaking of fiddling and changing and manipulating, the other change is simplified substitution. There is now a new substitution function, strangely called fn colon colon sub. Uh, this allows you to replace uh, variables with their evaluated values. This gives you lots more choice and allows you to reduce some of the absolute um, trickiness you had to do with fn join to get the outcomes that you want and should help clean templates up significantly. So huge change in the CloudFormation world. In addition, there is also now support for the AWS Key Management Service, EC2 Spotfleet, EC2 Container Service as well. So always new services being added. But my goodness me, YAML support in CloudFormation, I could not wait to start using that, let me tell you. Another change to a service that many of you may have used is the AWS Service Catalog. And AWS Service Catalog allows you to easily set up pre-configured things that your users can use. What has been changed is you can now set access level policies for post-launch actions. So previously, uh, a user would have access either to any provision product in the account or only to those that they themselves launched. Now you can customize who can access things afterwards and there's support for user, role, and account levels. And you can allow users to be granted access to view, update, terminate, and manage provision products created under their role or the account to which they're logged in. So essentially, this gives you a lot more choices to how you present the service catalog items and who can do what with them, which is pretty nifty. Speaking of nifty, let's talk about automation. One of the goals um, anyone working in any uh, software development function should be looking towards is automation. Automation at a grand scale. We want to automate everything we can possibly do to make things faster. And we automate for resilience. We automate for consistency. We automate for speed. And we automate so that we can deploy on a regular basis. That doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. 
So we also should be automating the rollback function. So I'm really thrilled to tell you that AWS Code Deploy now has both deployment monitoring with Amazon CloudWatch alarms and automatic deployment rollback. So what this means is you can monitor what's happening with your deployment and you can set appropriate alarms that would allow you to automatically roll back a deployment when a deployment either fails or where an appropriate CloudWatch alarm is activated. And what it will do is it will redeploy the last known working version of the application when it rolls back. Now you could do this in the past manually. Now you can do it automatically, which means if you have a good understanding of your application and you know the tolerances in which you want to run it and what looks bad when something gets deployed, you can have it roll back automatically. This is a super powerful feature that again allows you to deploy more frequently with greater confidence because your ability to undo any mistakes you made is very, very much enhanced. And I'm always counseling customers to deploy frequently, get used to doing it, do it very often and have a very small uh, amount of change with a very high rate of change. This helps reduce your blast radius of anything going wrong. It also makes the practice of deploying into production a very normal day-to-day thing that we do, which means you can introduce more change more quickly. And when I speak to business stakeholders, they're always talking about that they want to move quickly. They want to get more features into the hands of their customers, be they product features, capabilities, interaction mechanisms, etc. Doesn't matter what they want to get it to their customers. This is one way you can do it really, really easily. Speaking of the AWS Code Asta family, uh, AWS Code Commit now has a commit visualizer graph view as well. Now, for those of you like me who are kind of visual people and like to see stuff, particularly when we're talking about branching and committing and all sorts of interesting stuff you can do when you're doing uh, source control, the commit visualizer graph view is a really nifty thing you can do within the console to see what happened when from a visual standpoint. Very nifty, it's right there, very easy to use, um, something you should use straight away. Another service that you definitely should be using and I know I harp on this a little bit on the podcast, but I will not stop doing so, Uh, AWS CloudTrail. Now, AWS CloudTrail monitors API interactions that take place with your AWS account. It gives you a great uh, ability to audit and understand what's happening in your account and when. You can send that to multiple S3 buckets. Those S3 buckets can be secured. They can be encrypted, et cetera. It is a fantastic capability. And in fact, if you are working in an organization that's just moving to AWS, it's one of those uh, services that when you talk to your uh, chief information security officer, he or she will smile greatly when you explain what this service does. So AWS CloudTrail now also records Amazon EC2 spot instance launch and termination events as well. So you can see when people are launching stuff and turning stuff off. So remember AWS CloudTrail, if you haven't got it turned on your account now, please go and turn it on. You can thank me later. Another new change, AWS OpsWorks. So many of you would use AWS OpsWorks uh, for its DevOps capability, its ability to automate the end-to-end provisioning of applications using a chef-based mechanism. So what has changed is that in the past, you would be able to deploy your OpsWorks resources in a number of different regions, but you always had to use the US East North Virginia endpoint to do so. Now there are nine regional endpoints available for you. So now you can access OpsWorks using uh, endpoints that are specific to EU Frankfurt, EU Ireland, US West North California, US West Oregon, South America, Sao Paulo, Asia Pacific Seoul, Asia Pacific Singapore, Asia Pacific Sydney, and Asia Pacific Tokyo. So I know for a lot of customers that's really exciting because they like to operate within a specific region. This gives you that capability specifically for AWS OpsWorks. 
And speaking of uh, region locality, uh, we have a number of customers who like the AWS Cloud HSM capability, and this is a dedicated hardware security module. These are appliances that live within the AWS cloud that can help you meet your compliance, your regulatory compliance requirements around data security and allows you to keep complete control over the use of encryption keys that are stored in cloud HSM appliances. So we are now adding availability into the US West Northern California region. So basically these appliances are available to you in US East, North Virginia, US West Oregon, the AWS GovCloud in the US, EU Ireland, EU Frankfurt, Asia Pacific Sydney, Asia Pacific, Asia Pacific Singapore, and Asia Pacific Tokyo regions. So the list keeps on growing. A small but important change, uh, Amazon Kinesis. Uh, any of you who've used Amazon Kinesis know that it provides a great streaming data interface and ability to build some pretty impressive applications. And one of the things that we provide is the Amazon Kinesis Agent, which is a pre-built Java application that gives you an easy way to collect and ingest data into the Kinesis service. Uh, the agent monitors log files that you specify and continuously sends this new data into Kinesis Streams and the Kinesis Firehose. The Amazon Kinesis agent now supports using AWS IAM role for authentication. So this means you can set an IAM role in the agent configuration and it will assume, the agent will assume that role to get permission to put data in your Kinesis streams and Firehose delivery streams. This is really important because it is important to use roles. You wanna have applications and components assuming roles to do just enough that they need to do to get their job done. So a good little change there. Speaking of changes and additional value, uh, Enterprise Support has uh, had some additional capabilities added to it. Now, AWS Enterprise Support is really useful if you have mission-critical applications and you want the top-level support that's available. Uh, we're adding three specific benefits to the AWS Enterprise Support plan for no additional charge. The first thing is training credits. So with our training partner, Quick Labs, each enterprise support customer is entitled to receive 500 Quick Lab training credits annually, along with a 30% discount on additional credits. Now, these uh, training courses have a wide variety of AWS topics. The introductory courses are free, and the remaining courses cost between 1 to 15 credits each. So you can do a lot of training uh, with those credits that are available. So it's a great way to get your team up to speed and improve capability. The two other parts of the change, we now offer a cloud operations review. So this can help you identify gaps in your approach to operating in the cloud and allows you to use uh, best practices and understand the best practices that we've seen with our large set of representative customers and what they do best. And that can help you improve your operational excellence. The second thing is you're also eligible for a well-architected review of your mission-critical workloads. So the cloud operations review focuses on people and process. The well-architected review allows you to measure your architecture against AWS best practices and allow you to build your architecture that is secure, reliable, performant, and cost-effective. So these are some changes included for free as part of your enterprise support plan. Now, a lot of development takes place within Amazon, and it can be really tough to keep track of everything. And I know that a lot of customers also like to contribute to what's going on. So the Amazon EMR team have just contributed something to the open source community, and that's the Amazon EMR DynamoDB Connector. I nearly said collector. Connector. And it is now open source. Now, this is a set of libraries that let you access data stored in DynamoDB with Spark, Hadoop MapReduce, and Hive Jobs. So this allows you to really have a nice easy, seamless way to access data across multiple different sources. Because we all know that data ends up in different places at different times for different reasons. 
So this repository or this connector capability is now open sourced and is available in GitHub. The list, the link I should say, is in the show notes so you can catch it there. We have covered a lot of ground. I think we just hit the 20 minute mark if I check my clock correctly here, but it is time for a little black belt tip. It's been a while, so I'm going to give you a security related one. I'm in a bit of a security kick at the moment. And this black belt tip is a function that you may not know exists or you may not have been aware of. So I'll remind you of it. And this is in as part of IAM and is it is the service last accessed data. Now the service last access data provides information about when IAM users and roles last attempted to access AWS services. Now this is really useful because we want to operate on a principle of least privilege. This means we want to give people the least possible privilege to perform the tasks they need to get done. We also don't want to have privilege sets or rules that have been created or credentials or any roles out there that aren't used on a regular basis, that aren't necessary. So this console information allows you to see when a particular service was last accessed. And if you find that things that have not been accessed for a long time, that is an opportunity to review. Now, that doesn't mean immediately start deleting with um, great relish. It means understand what the role was, figure out who created it, and what it's needed for. You know, if it's a in emergency break glass type role, you probably want to keep it there. However, if it's something that was created on you know, Project X six months ago and it thought it was a good idea but we never ended up using it, that's a great candidate for it to be deleted. So the service last access data is a very nifty thing that's available. And in fact, the reason why I mention it, it has just become available for the Asia-Pacific Mumbai region. So it's available across 11 different regions. And those regions are, here they come, uh, US East, US West Oregon, US West North California, EU Ireland, EU Frankfurt, Asia Pacific, Tokyo, Seoul, Singapore, Sydney, Mumbai, and South America, Sao Paulo. So a good little service to have a look at. You may not be aware it's there. So that's our little black belt tip of the week. Thanks again for listening. We really do love uh, the fact that people are enjoying the podcast, getting some great feedback and are sharing it with others. As ever, if you have feedback, ideas, suggestions, AWS podcast at amazon.com. And until next time, keep on building.